You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in the medical imaging department of the Royal Children's Hospital. This is the last of a four-part series on clinical education and clinical placement for students and is aimed at healthcare students, healthcare providers and universities. Now we've heard from students and clinical educators about the clinical placement experience and we've also discussed how we can talk to children and parents as well as the differences in child and adult healthcare. But what happens when you're fully qualified and are sent into the big wide world of shift work, independence and responsibility? Well, we've enlisted the help of three relatively new graduates who are going to discuss assimilating into professional healthcare workers and adult life. So our first graduate is Rose Clark. Rose has just finished as a medical student and is now working as a new grad at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. Welcome, Rose. Thank you for having me, Steve. Our next graduate is Olivia McCurdy. Olivia has just finished her nursing grad year in the RCH emergency department and is now continuing to work in that department. Welcome, Olivia. Thanks, Steve. Our final graduate is Yelena Militinovic. Yelena is working her first job as a social worker at RCH and is representing the Allied Health grads. So, Yelena, let's just start with you. It can be very exhausting going into clinical placement, and in a lot of cases, it's a big transition going into full-time autonomous work. How do you survive such a transition? So, for me, self-care is something that has really um, helped me survive. So, it's important to think of self-care as something that should be part of your everyday routine, not just something that you do when you're feeling flat or tired. Okay, so what do you do for self-care then? So for me, self-care is decompressing for the day after work. Um, So this can be anything from watching trash TV that doesn't require me to think or is just full of trivial things. (laughs) Think maths or real housewives. Um, (laughs) As silly as these shows are, they really help me forget about the often depressing but rewarding nature of social work. Yeah. Um, I also enjoy being active. So, for example, I do Pilates twice a week after work, and this helps me to physically re-energize and gives me a mental break from thinking about what occurred during the day. And being active is important, especially if you have days where you're doing a lot of like phone work or outpatient work where you're not really moving around, and also ensuring proper nutrition, getting enough sleep. These seem obvious, but sometimes during the really Busy days, I have been particularly guilty of forgetting to take a lunch break or I will eat at my desk, which is really not healthy at all. I can't imagine not taking a lunch break. <laughs> I have to eat during the day. Yes, definitely would not recommend. I also like to relax in the bath or have a hot shower. Um, if I've had a particularly um, emotionally heavy day, I like to physically wash off the emotions from the day. Mm, good idea. And lastly, for me, it's important to maintain healthy boundaries. So this can look like not talking about work when you're outside of work um, and just really listening to your body or your emotions. Um, For example, being a social worker, we can often get inadvertently sucked into being the social worker for our friends. Um, I know that I'm particularly guilty of this. Mm. So 
it's okay to say that, you know, I want to help you right now, but I don't have the emotional capacity to do so. Um, and this does not mean that you are a bad friend. Yeah, no, I get that. It must be hard though sometimes, I think, when they're kind of coming to you for help. Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, and Rose, what do you do for self-care? Yeah, I, um, I'm very much like Elena. I, I really try and stick to a routine every day when I go to work and come home from work. Um, actually, the best advice I ever got from um, a colleague was to spend 10 minutes after every shift and just try and um, figure out a way to unwind your day. Um, and that's where you can figure out you can decompress so you don't offload onto your family and friends. Yeah. Um, for me, actually, it just I spend my car ride home. I give one of my family friend, family members or a friend um, a call um, and I kind of talk about the day in the sense of what happened or anything that I really need to debrief about. But as soon as I get home, I jump in the shower and just wash it all away um, and then I start my new life at home and uh, get some food into me and start again, which is, um, I think, a really good way to feel less guilty about what's happened at work. Yeah, good idea. And what about you, Olivia? Um, I definitely agree with everything Rose and Yelena have mentioned. I love walking along the beach with my bulldog. The fresh air and being outside really helps me to de-stress. And I'm also a huge foodie. So self-care can either be cooking a delicious meal or trying out new restaurants with friends. But at the moment, I'm trying to cook my way through a whole cookbook. Oh, my God. That's really ambitious. We all know that it's really important to do self-care and you still have to remember to maintain a work-life balance and try not to overload yourself. And that, that even if that means sometimes saying no to social events, just to catch up on some sleep sometimes. So Yelena, when you start a job as a fully qualified professional, and that's right, you girls, you're all professional now, <laughs> you're obviously working around some people who have a ton of experience and knowledge. How does that feel? In social work, we can often experience something called the imposter syndrome which is where we feel like we are not authentic as new social workers or that we're faking it. This is something that I am definitely guilty of since I started. And this can include things like when you're engaging with families or when you're doing an assessment or communicating with services like child protection or things like that. Um, Often we can feel out of our depth and inadequate as professionals but I've come to realize that this is actually a sign that I take my work seriously. So is, is this kind of like a situation where you, you're a new graduate, you've come into work, you feel like because now you're fully qualified, you should know all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you kind of feel like you're getting taken down a few pegs that you don't. Yes. Yeah. So it's like you're at uni for years and then you come out of it and you think, great, I've got all this knowledge and now I can put it into practice. And then you actually start doing the work. I think it's just different when you're seeing it in practice, you kind of have an idea of like what you should look like or what you should do. But then like when you're actually doing it, it might not be what you've envisaged. And then you might then start to self-doubt yeah. your ability, but it's actually, it's not really the case, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like no, it, it does. I think it's also good to remember that, uh, that irrespective of how experienced you are in a situation like healthcare, you're always constantly learning anyway. Yeah. Definitely. So it's important to remember that, you know, at the end of the day, we are our own worst critic. Um, This is why you should be compassionate towards yourself if you don't know things. Um, And don't be afraid to ask questions. I know that I ask a million every day. For me, taking not knowing something is an opportunity to learn. Um, It's important to remember that you can say that you don't know something. So, for example, if a parent was to ask you, something you might not know the answer to you can just let them know that you're not sure um but you will 
follow up and get back to them. Yeah. And I also like to give myself a pep talk before seeing a family or if I know that I'm going to go into a tricky situation, so things like a new diagnosis talk or dealing with child protection cases and allowing space for silence when engaging with families, sometimes just being there and just being present is enough support for these families. And you don't always have to be saying something in order to feel like you're helping. And lastly, something I try to remind myself often is that all of the best social workers had to start somewhere. I know that often I put my senior social workers on a pedestal, but forget that they have had so many more years of experience and that they were also once new grads too. Yeah, absolutely. And Olivia, what about you as far as knowing that you've got so many people around you that have all those many years of experience? Yeah, um, I think you can really use that to your advantage. So if you don't know something, ask. You are new to the profession and you're not expected to know everything. You are learning on the job. So asking questions to doctors, nurses, or even sometimes parents of complex medical children is a great way to learn. They love um, educating new nurses. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that parents also know probably the most about their children They know as the well. best, exactly. That's right. And what about you, Rose? Um, I think this is actually a very um, tricky time, the transition from learning so much theory to clinical. And so I think it's very challenging when we meet our senior educators and things like that who seem like they're very experienced and they are, um, but it's probably been a while since they've been a new grad. So I, I do respect Eleanor's point of view. Um, but I think for me, what the best way to go about it is spend the two seconds or three seconds outside the room of a patient, try and think of your theoretical knowledge, which we've just spent so long learning. Think of what you, what's wrong with them. Think about what you're going to have to preempt in, the, in going into that room, whether it's nursing or social worker perspective. Um, for me, it's what are the differentials? What are the management plans for this patient? And I think prepping yourself in that mindset really like prepares you adequately for going into that room, which um, the senior doctors take so easily and so for granted, which is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, not only are there a lot of very experienced people, especially at an institution like the Children's Hospital, there are also just lots of staff around as we are a very large institution here. And so think of, say, an emergency department at a regional hospital. There's a fair amount of staff, but certainly nowhere near as much as there would be in larger metropolitan hospitals. So, Olivia, you come from the emergency department, which is a huge team of staff and heaps and heaps of nurses that you've got. Now, I've worked here for 13 years, and we in medical imaging have a very close association with the emergency department, and I still only know a small handful of the nursing staff. How do you cope knowing that every shift that you're going to work, you're likely to be working with someone different? Yeah, good question. Adjusting to working in such a large team at times can feel daunting. Coming onto shift and not knowing many staff members as a new nurse can be challenging as well. So when I started my grad year at RCH, there were three other grads placed in ED. And these are the people that know exactly how you are feeling and can relate to being new within a department. As grad nurses, we all supported each other throughout the grad year. We checked in on one another and we also were sharing the same learning experiences. So I found that relationship really important. And was this something that was formalized or was it just like ad hoc and organized by yourselves? We just organized it amongst ourselves. We have a group chat where we often check in on each other and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I also find when working within a big team, it is important to introduce yourself to fellow team members. And this can be done in many ways, like at the beginning of a shift or during handover. I found working with different people and working as a team, I was able to take skills and knowledge from all my colleagues and grow as a nurse. 
I think it's really important to remember everyone was the new person once. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure though that with so many people, you could use this to your advantage as well. Absolutely. Working within a big emergency department, you're exposed to various medical conditions and presenting patient situations. Many of these conditions you may have never seen or heard of. An advantage to working within such a large team is that if you're unsure of something, someone you work with will likely know and be able to talk you through it. I'm constantly learning through my colleagues and asking questions. Many nurses in the department have also come from specialist areas and have knowledge of these areas. Utilising team members' knowledge and expertise can be extremely helpful in unfamiliar procedures. I think teamwork within a busy department is so important. It allows for tasks to be completed efficiently and is a great way of getting to know the multidisciplinary team. When I reflect on some of my busiest days as a new nurse, I am grateful to always have the support of my team and being in it together. Yeah, that's fantastic. And as stressful as a job can be, feeling that support can allow you to also maintain that positivity, which your patients will definitely appreciate as well. Now, Rose, I can imagine that for you, the sheer number of unfamiliar staff that you come across each day can be quite challenging. Yeah, definitely. I've actually just started on my emergency placement um, recently at St. Vincent's, um, and I really resonate with that, that. There's a lot of new staff every day. The routine in that aspect is also very helpful. So every morning or every shift you start on, make sure you go and introduce yourself to the, the staff, the team leader, um, whether that's medical and the nursing staff. Um, so you understand who is in charge and then you can work backwards from there. So we write our names and our numbers on the board um, and then you kind of rank it where you are in the hierarchy of things. And that can really understand even as students, you should put your name on the board um, so you know exactly who's in the team, who's around and you can rank yourself and figure out who you need to ask questions for. And so with all of the members of the team, because you obviously know that there's lots and lots of different disciplines that are involved in that, have you done anything specifically to understand what the roles of each person is in a team environment? Do you know what the social worker is actually going to be doing for that particular patient? How have you actually learned that? Mostly I've learned the roles of other different um, disciplines based on experience. And the social worker, for example, I've been asked by my boss to go and call the social workers. And I've actually spent a few minutes um, kind of orientating myself about exactly what they do. Mm -hmm. So I think the, um, the training and the education has been pretty limited in the theoretical perspective about what all the other teams do. The first thing you can do as a new grad is just ask questions. And we, I think that's a true theme across today. Yeah, absolutely. Yelena, what about you? Um, yes, I definitely agree with learning about the different roles and the different disciplines. I know when I started, I had no idea what a Reg was, what was a fellow, what was a consultant, really just, again, not being afraid to ask which team they're a part of, what their role is, um, or if I don't feel comfortable asking somebody directly, I will usually just ask my social work colleagues and then I'll literally, like, I've got a whole list of, like, who is who, who's the reg for this department, who's the, the nurse for this department. So then if I need to contact them again, I can just refer back and say, oh, okay, this is blah, blah, blah from from Whatever wherever, yeah. Department. Yeah. You think of areas of allied health and areas of nursing where you you don't necessarily get taught things like all of the different levels in the medical field of going all the way from intern through to consultant and stuff like that. We get confused as professionals sometimes where where people actually are sitting in that hierarchy. Imagine what the patients are like mm. and the parents mm. who, who don't have any medical knowledge at all. And all of a sudden someone just walks in and they just say, oh, hi, I'm the registrar. They'll be just like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, it's interesting. Now, Rose, it's no secret that handovers in medicine are extremely important, but it can be a nightmare for anyone, especially for new graduates who are suddenly thrown into the deep end 
What are some of the things that you've learned that make the handover process easier for you? As a junior doctor, um, you really are thrown in the deep end in terms of navigating the clinical with the administrative tasks. And our handovers are particularly challenging. Each team have different expectations and different requirements. So what I would um, suggest and what I found it works really well is even though you don't get paid, come in 10 to 15 minutes early every day or at least for the first few weeks while you're trying to navigate that team. And you can start prepping some of the handover notes. So start getting a Word document ready or however that team particularly get it um, sorted out. And then what I do and I find very useful for myself is write a one-sentence summary for each patient. That's for all the allied health. They can read it and they can understand what your train of thought is and a quick summary about that patient. But it's also for you. It's a very good trigger of your memory. So when um, an allied health team or someone else calls you about that patient, you know exactly what's wrong with them and what the team is thinking at the time. Um, And then for your own personal learning and for how to manage the day, what I do is also have a piece of paper on the side um, and I do a bit of a checklist of jobs that I need to do personally and then as the team so we can follow up and make sure that everything gets done. And, And what are some of the things that you need to learn but others might take for granted because they've just worked here for so long? Yeah, this is very challenging when you start a new team, which happens every 10 or 12 weeks for us. So what I try and do is um, try and get a good handover, a verbal handover from one of the team members who've just left before me. And I try and ask a few things which just seem very simple, but firstly, what time and where do I need to meet on day one? So level two in the education hub or here we are at the RCH or it's very important to know exactly where to go on day one. And secondly, what to wear. So is it a scrubs environment or is it a clinical wear environment? So that way you can navigate um, what everyone else in the team is wearing so you don't stand out. Yep. And thirdly, um, the three useful logistical things to make our lives easier. So who is the boss in charge? Who do you need to know who's going to be in charge of your team for the day? And simple things. So how do I send blood to pathology or order an x-ray? Is it via an electronic system or is it via paper? And how does this particular team that we're about to go on to like to divvy up the tasks and hand over and, and allocate roles within the team. That so means on day one, even though you've got no medical expertise going into it, you have a few practical things that can really help you with day one. Yeah. And, and Olivia, what about any strategies for you from a handover perspective? For ED, we do our handover ABCD, so just a primary assessment. So I would definitely include that in our handover. And then just following your ISBAR like usual that you'd learn in nursing school. That's really important. And any concerns you have about the patient to make sure you're handing them over and also telling the treating doctor in charge. Ah, good. Uh, an interesting point that you make there about uh, using the ISBAR technique, because I've recently read of a new addition to ISBAR, which is called K-ISBAR, where the K stands for kindness and being kind to one another at the start. That's like really that. good. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for your input in today's conversation. I'm sure that a lot of new graduates and soon-to-be graduates can take a lot from this information. Rose, do you have any final tips for any medical students or new interns on how to succeed in their placements? Yeah, I have a few Survivor 101 tips that I've learned along the way or that people have passed on to me. Um, One, we get told a lot um, and it's very obvious, but really make sure that you introduce yourself to the nursing unit manager on your team and be kind to all the nurses as they will make our lives a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. The other thing that I find very useful, especially as being a junior, is when entering a call or making any referral, just state your title. So are you a student or are you an intern? And realistically, everyone is so much nicer to you when you state your, your, your title. Absolutely. And that, that's a really good idea. But I'm going to also add another one in there. And that is if you're making a referral, please write your contact details on it so that you can be contacted if there's any questions. Very fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
And my other last tip that I have is, you know, every supervisor will ask you, what are your goals? And I find that as a student and as an intern or junior doctor or anything very challenging. Um, so I have a few tips. One is to think of a logistical junior doctor skill. So in that rotation, I want to learn how to improve my communication skills, talking to families or talking to loved ones. Um, one procedural school, for example, I want to work on my cannulation or putting in a catheter and one clinical goal, so managing common conditions. And this will make you look extra prepared when you have that day one conversation. And uh, Yelena, any tips for a newly qualified or soon to be qualified allied health professional? Try and stay connected with your uni friends or your fellow graduates. I've found this really helpful in sharing my new grad experience with people from my cohort. It really helps alleviate the feelings of being alone in this big, wide professional world and, yeah, makes the experience feel less daunting. Mm -hmm. And also try and take a break. You've worked so hard to get to where you are and you really deserve some time off. I know after I graduated, I only took five days away to go to Queensland and it was the best thing that I ever did. And I felt so much more relaxed once I came home and I was ready to take on the professional life. Oh, good idea. Go to Queensland. And any nursing tips from you, Olivia? Yeah, definitely. Look after yourself. Balancing shift work and being new to a profession can be exhausting. I'd recommend trying to take all your breaks at work, even if you feel like there's too much to do. Try and hand it over because taking a break will allow you to take a step back, refuel and come back better able to look after your patients. And I think it's also really important just to relax on your days off and rewind. Wonderful. Thanks again, ladies, for your time and contributions today. So that concludes our four-part series on clinical placement and education. Keep an eye on this podcast, though, because over the coming weeks, we'll be discussing other topics such as clinical supervision, feedback, job hunting, applications and interviews, and even how to fail a student. Thanks again, guys, for a great chat. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.